work week, am I right? But do you know what would make it a little bit better? Doing church on a Sunday and then listening to a podcast about the sermon. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Church Collingswood. Each week we'll spend some time unpacking Sunday sermonics, and we hope that you'll be able to connect a little deeper with the message and the messenger. It's a win, if we can make your work week a little less blue. House lights down. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem. I'm Emily, here with my husband Jim. Hello there. I have a little bit of a cold today, so it's a little more postmortem than usual. Too. Interesting. Fascinating how that works. <laughs> um, Something's going around, uh, yeah. as they say. Uh, we're back into the school year, back to where cool colds happen. Although I thought that was over with the like preschool colds, but uh, apparently teenagers also spread germs. <laughs> yeah. Yep, that's true. Imagining that. Um, yeah. I thought uh, we'd start by by talking a little bit every time about <laughs> blog posts. You're laughing, but I, I just think this fun yeah, is I, funny. Yeah, I, I forgot that we were going to do this, so <laughs> here we go. Um, I thought it was kind of boring that we used to just talk about the weather because, I mean, what we are, we are lamer art so. form is that? The weather. Um, so instead, I thought we'd talk about something that's way revolutionary, uh, <laughs> your blog. Does, does anyone else write blogs? Podcast, going back to blog. <laughs> For real, like who who else writes blogs? I mean, people have newsletters right. of various newsletters. kinds. Hmm. I, I'm just curious. And there is talk of taking my blog and making it into a standalone email newsletter. Or you can make it a vlog, which I think those are still more in right now. Are they really? Mm, I don't know. Yeah, I don't <laughs> Anyway, um, so in your last blog, you were talking about uh, school lunches and how you made lunch for Josiah and how mm-hmm. that's one of the sadnesses as right. time is moving on. Dropped him off um, college I was wondering ago. what you ate for school lunch growing up. Oh, that's a great question. So it did not change. By the middle of middle school, I was locked in throughout the duration of the rest of so my you're, school, so you're in school. your blog you were talking about complaining that everyone else had like these standards which are boring right <laughs> so like but it was your 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 way indeed to like have the standard locking. i'm a regular man so well i guess it's similar um when i have lunch here at home most days i have the same thing that i've had for can 20 years beans. can of beans black beans frijole negros as they say but squirt in some hot sauce yep it's delicious every time. Back in middle school and high school, there was a little bit of trial and error. My mom, as you know, was a stay-at-home mom and had primary lunchmaking duty. She went through different iterations of trying to save time. That The worst one was where she would make five sandwiches on a Sunday evening and then freeze them for the week. And so by <laughs> Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, those and it was white bread, those frozen... I see. Unfrozen yeah. sandwiches were, were pretty horrible. So That is why you are. I now understand why you are so reluctant to like make the kids make their lunch the night before. The natives. It trauma. It trauma. Your childhood. <laughs> I get it now. It all becomes clear. And I've been traumatized by bologna. Those are the two. Yeah, everything um, has, a, has a traumatic backstory. <laughs> Even my school lunches. But what the, what the school lunches ended up being, and... And as you know, too, I was a star athlete and burning a lot of calories on, on the sports fields, sports fields, because I sport doing sporty stuff. 
so two turkey sandwiches, not one. And then I would have peanut butter on graham crackers. So it would be two large rectangular pieces of graham crackers, each broken in half with butter and Smucker's all-natural peanut butter. So two peanut butter sandwiches. Plus two turkey sandwiches. Plus two turkey sandwiches. <laughs> and then two cookies. The cookies were wild card. Chips Ahoy were probably my favorite. And then, you know, give an Oreo here and there. And then two apples. And that was the, that was a lunch for every day for about six years, and I had the same I had the same plastic bag that I got from the Esplanade Mall in Kenner, Louisiana, some type of clothing store, but it was just the right size and the right texture. It was just a great lunch bag plastic, and it survived for five and a half of those six years. Not a single until, use bag <laughs> until a teacher, judging that it was trash, threw it away. Oh, shocking! I was very upset. So yeah, that was me. How about Ahead how about you? Uh, well, I will just say that this is this uh, whole podcast is about your brain. So, <laughs> friends, this was Jim's brain. <laughs> Picked Jim's brain, and uh, we'll have to get our producer to give like a musical intro and outro to, <laughs> to the Jim's brain. So, now that we've warmed up um, with with memories from the past, I'm we're going to jump in to um, calling it Stormy Monday, where we start excavating your sermon from this week. Okay. <laughs> Calling it Stormy Monday. So this yes. is what this was the second of our return to the book of Genesis for this ministry year. Yes, it was. And we were talking last week in Post Sunday Blues, a preaching postmortem, um, about how I have a less specific set of topics that I expect to hit as we go through. I'm so impressed the, with your flexibility. <laughs> the the stories from Genesis starting with chapter twelve. And as we hit Genesis twelve, ten to twenty. Abram's dis Abram's descent in more ways than one, including geographically to Egypt. This to me is proof of concept for Lectio Continua. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Lectio Continua just means continuous reading, and it's been used for centuries in the church to talk it's about that consistent reading through sequentially of the scriptures. I knew going into this week that I was going to have to preach on Genesis 12, 10 to 20. But until I started doing commentary work and writing the sermon, I had no idea what direction Not, this oh, story was possibly going to go. Got it. And because you had good, good Abraham or Abram last week, you knew that you were right. face, about to face um, bad Abram. Bad, bad Abram. <laughs> Abram. And where, where was the sermon? Where was the sermon going to go when there's Breaking Bad? Abram? Yeah. And if there were times during the sermon writing week and a half where I was sitting there saying, I don't really get what's going on in this passage, instead of discarding that thought and trying to press ahead into getting it, that became one of the leitmotifs, the ground motives of the sermon, thinking about when we don't get God. Right, right. Not getting, okay, I see how this is happening. I'm seeing the workings of your brain. That's why we do. That's why season three is, it's, yeah, this is, this is the, um, with the sermon. The lights are finally starting to, to, um, Arise oh, come on. on your we've, we've brain surgery. This. It's been the <laughs> previous seasons too, right? So, so yeah. So you're starting to piece together um, what is going on with Abram. What is what's going on in your life as it as it relates to the sermon? Um, 
Hmm. This is the last. This it's the, your, your question. What was yeah. God doing in you as it relates to the sermon? Well, with you sound so puzzled. Nothing <laughs> was going on with with Eric Mitchell being gone for bereavement leave. It was just a pretty packed week. So, sure. so I, like, what was going on? I don't know was, what was going on. I was pretty scattered, and I hope the sermon came together and came off okay, but there there was more sermonic distress than usual when I was trying to fit in sermon writing to a lot of other things going on. That's so, why it was fun to have such a difficult passage. <laughs> sometimes it happens, and right. that maybe that played in also to me throwing up my hands and saying, I don't really get what's going on here. Okay, okay. That seems like a good frame. Um can we jump into Sun Studios, yes. the, the area in which we're thinking more about how that sermon got um, made now that you have the big picture idea? Yep. Um, tell us more about this specific passage. The specific passage, Genesis 12, 10 to 20. There's a famine in Haran as Abram and Sarai are moving towards the promised land as God had called them and promised to them famine in Haran, adjacent to the promised land. Egypt, I think I mentioned in the sermon, was pretty buffered well against famines because of the Nile River and their irrigation and everything. So the famine forces or compels Abram and Sarai to go down to Egypt so so they can have enough food. And then the story gets pretty weird from there. I also mentioned during the sermon, I think, that the play by play of this story is pretty pretty simple, pretty Mm -hmm. straightforward. Mm -hmm. Abram, for some reason, we don't know why, that's part of what we don't get, is worried that as he goes down into Egypt as one married to Sarai, Mm -hmm. he's worried that he'll be killed. And so he tells Sarai, say we're not married, but that you're my sister, so that things will go well with me. And they do, Mm -hmm. even though he leaves Sarai vulnerable to what we would consider a sexual assault at the hands of Pharaoh. She was probably taken into his harem. Right. Abram's blessed as a result. He gets sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. And then it's Pharaoh, not Abram, who's afflicted. Pharaoh rebukes Abram. And then they go go back to Haran, and that's where we pick up in Genesis chapter 13. One commentator... I think for this week, beginning with Genesis chapter 13, ask the question, I wonder what the conversation was like going from <laughs> Egypt back, to, back, right. back to the promised land. I, right. I, I have no idea. So that's what happened. The question, the question is why? And what I perceive to be a minority report of interpretation, which used to be more prevalent and common, is that there have been some interpretive attempts to rehabilitate Abram's actions here mm-hmm. and say he actually had no choice and or, well, he didn't totally lie about saying Sarai's wife because they could be half siblings. And what he's doing really isn't that bad. And he knows that he has to stay alive for the purposes of God's promises being continued and that sort of thing. I think that's an example of one's interpretive bias right, over determining to... conclusions. I think it's just easier, and this is where the majority of the commentators are in more modern times, Abram has genuinely broken bad, Mm -hmm. and he's behaving badly. He's doing horrific acts towards Sarai, and then very strangely is being rewarded for it. And there are ways in this passage that are 
throwing shade on Abram. So if there's not an explicit rebuke from God towards Abram here, there is a rebuke from Pharaoh that commentators say, Pharaoh speaking as God's proxy. And then also if Abram in the previous story in Genesis 12 and God are very close, God's talking to Abram, appearing to Abram, Abram's obeying. Yahweh is conspicuous by his absence right. in this passage. So really, that just going back to that question, what, what is going on here? Yeah. We don't get it. Um, it, de- it definitely feels like one of the worst. I'm trying to think what I would do if you did similarly to <laughs> to me as <Gosh>. your wife. <laughs> Not saying it's anything. like almost inconceivable in our, our current culture. Um, yes. And so I agree with that. It, <laughs> Um, so it, it's interesting to try to like put ourselves back there and and also still ask these questions. Mm-hmm. But I, I yeah, I like that you're challenging yourself with having to address these these kind of questions, these kind of issues because it is right. central to a lot of criticisms of the Bible, of Christianity, of this this yeah. um, this Hebrew God. That's right, and that was the jumping off point to thinking about what we do when we don't get God. One other last little tidbit M comes comes to mind. This didn't make it into the sermon for the sake of time. But another way that some commentators will try to airbrush Abram here is by claiming that if Sarai was given up to Pharaoh, that there was no sexual relationship between them. Mm -hmm. And the story doesn't actually say either way. But a very similar episode is going to take place a few chapters from now. I think it's Genesis chapter 20. Again, I have no idea what I'm going to say about that passage yet. And it's strange that Abram kind of does the same thing to Sarai twice. That passage is explicit in saying that the king to whom Abram gave up Sarai, she and that king did not have sexual relations. Mm -hmm. And so the inference is if the one passage is explicit about this didn't happen, Mm -hmm. we can and should infer in the other direction that, that there was it's as bad as we fear with Fun what times. Has, has, has done. What so, kind of passage have you chosen? It's in the Bible. <laughs> and so we, we wrestle with it. Yeah, a uh, giant it, challenge. Yeah. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to get worse. There's going to be right. weirder, nastier passages coming, coming on for sure, unfortunately. But we trust that all scripture is God-breathed and profitable, profitable for our understanding and growth and grace. And that's what I'm trusting in. Jumping off from here to the whole idea, and I didn't use this theological language in the sermon, but that's what the book ending of the podcast with the sermon is for, talking about how we sometimes either get God or don't get God. At another level, that's talking about divine comprehensibility versus incomprehensibility. So, is the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as theologians have weighed the question for millennia, in what sense is God comprehensible to us and incomprehensible to us? Kind of strange to think about, Mm -hmm. but even in this, in the office where we're recording M, in systematic theologies about doctrine of God, in the history of the church, there have been thousands upon thousands upon thousands of pages that discuss the incomprehensibility Mm -hmm. of God. So Mm -hmm. just think about that. A section... Systematic theology is about God. They'll talk about what the Trinity is. They'll talk about God's power, his omniscience, all these other attributes, his love. But then there's always a chapter on 
how actually we can't understand God at all. Right, so, right. And it's not that we can't completely understand God, but God is so much above us that there has to be we can't level. understand him com- completely. So right. it's Deus Revelatus. That's the comprehensible God because God has chosen to reveal himself to us in Scripture, in our being made in his image, in the world, and in the sun. So that's the Deus Revelatus versus the Deus Absconditus. The, the, the <laughs> Go hidden on with God. Here. Right. So yes, Deus Revelatus versus the Deus Absconditus, All and the those two things fit together. And the, there are some interesting theological tangents in the church, just to mention them briefly. In the Eastern Orthodox Christian tradition, there is a strand of doing theology called negative theology that Ooh. states that you can only properly talk about God by the language of negation. God is so immense and above who we are that it's presumptuous of us to be able to make positive statements about God. God is this, God is that. So instead of filling in a picture, say you're making a sketch and you're starting, if I'm drawing a picture of you and you have a Batman shirt on, you're looking wonderful as usual. And so I, I, I fill in the picture of how you appear negative theology would be I would draw everything around you mm-hmm. and leave you blank as the center of the picture because I'm not able to directly address who you are. So you can only say God is not finite. God is not limited. God mm-hmm. is not this. God is not that. I kind of think that's a parlor trick because every negation contains an Probably. affirmation mm-hmm. in one way or another. So it's a little bit of a semantic philosophy game, but kind of, but but kind of interesting as a intriguing as an intriguing attempt to capture within our theologizing about God, his incomprehensibility. And then over here in the West in the 20th century, there was a movement in continental Europe, Karl Barth, Emil Brunner, and so on, neo-Orthodox theologians who would claim that God is always yes and no to us. Mm-hmm. And, Same more. Right. So is starting with the cross, is the cross grace or judgment? Well, it is, it is both. So always talking about God in these dialectic both ands mm-hmm. and sometimes in the dialectic they might even on the surface appear to be contradictory with each other but at the larger level because God is the resolution of all contradictions within himself mm-hmm. and immense you, you can only speak about God dialectically this is what you were doing <laughs> as your philosophy major <laughs> yeah, yeah lots of fun the, the, the problem with neo-Orthodox theology is that it doesn't preach at all. I've, some of the most incomprehensible sermons I've ever heard have tried to do justice uh-huh. to dialectical theology. And, and it ends up, like to, like, ends up saying nothing. Yeah, it's can egghead. You, can you fit it in a TikTok? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> well, I, I, I think we might be starting a Liberty Collins with TikTok, so I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can get you it in there. You can try, yeah. Um, I'd like to see you try. Okay. It worked better for me, the illustration you gave of just, um, I, like, saying you don't get anything about anyone. Nobody, I, like, I, I don't get everything about you. That's why we're here. Mutual. <laughs> um, when yeah. you're saying you don't understand any grand humor that's my biggest fear not people not understanding but the reality is people just don't get it it's your kryptonite yeah it is um, or i think about like you always think you understand your parents but then like we as parents our kids do not understand us they're they just think we're alien it's yeah. very it's it's 
It's so strange. But it is a Nor picture. Nor do they try to understand this. Nor does it even occur to them that seeking to understand one's parents well, is, they, is a worthy goal. I think that it's more that they assume that they understand. So there's no reason to like think about it further to see if there's some deeper, deeper thing other than like my parents are trying to make me miserable. There's a table. There's a chair. There's mom. There's dad. All inert <laughs> and completely comprehensible. So I think that that is kind of, I mean, it's an interesting, for me, that's a more workable picture than than throwing out some of dialectical like the, theology right l- your latin terms oh. uh just to be feeling like if i don't feel like i can be understood by people then and i don't understand myself then surely god is also not understandable yeah. and and we will talk more in muddying the waters to go there. about I, such you, such things you know i still the, just can't with these but headaches. but but to round out trying to get to the bottom of this passage by way of interpretation where I landed in interpreting the passage, and I think this is correct, this is a story of grace, where the only way that this passage makes sense, why is Pharaoh smitten, why is Abram blessed, is that God in the previous passage has promised to bless Abram, and whoever, and then also has promised, whoever dishonors you, I will curse. And so this is real time playing out of that. God already decided and promised that he was going to bless Abram, make him a great nation, preserve him in the promised land. And he's following through mm-hmm. in kind of in a backdoor way. This passage demonstrates how grace really is grace. Right. And it's not something that we can earn or deserve. And shockingly so, mm-hmm. where Abram even breaking bad is still the recipient of free grace because we can think in our own minds that you know, sure grace is forgiveness but we also put in our own two cents of worth and in mm-hmm. value to deserve it that's actually not what grace is at all it's a hundred percent unmerited favor and then the connection between pharaoh at at some level the the lesser offender i i didn't want to press that too strongly because pharaoh does do unspeakable things towards Sarah in this passage, but if the whole thing was Abram's idea, if at some level Pharaoh is a lesser offender, a little bit apples and oranges, but that carries forward to Jesus, the lesser offender. In fact, the one that didn't offend at all is smited on the cross so that we can be blessed similarly to how Pharaoh is smited and afflicted and plagued. That's a little bit of a preview of Exodus where the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai. That's a, mm-hmm. that, that's a preview of the plagues at the beginning of the book of Exodus. Abram blessed, Pharaoh smited, even though Abram did, didn't deserve it. That's how grace works for us. And for Christian, to, to say one more time, even people that have a pretty good understanding of grace and who have lived under the grace of Jesus for a long time, we can get in habits of domesticating grace to put it that way and this is a passage that to me shocks us all over again about Mm -hmm. how radical grace actually is right and um as we move on to muddying the waters that that's just a crazy topic or or concept to try to wrap your head around and maybe that's the whole point that that this this topic or that god and grace are um 
too difficult to comprehend but like there's one part of me that does really resonate with that idea of like this overflowing grace but then um but then the the counter of like what it is that rubs people the wrong way about um rewarding um the breaking bad abram um is is hard to like um bring to resolution yeah. Do you feel you, like so that's the that is like one of the conflicts that you're trying to address? Yes. You know that you're beginning to get grace at a deeper level if occasionally you don't get it and have these moments where you end up saying, "Wait, that's not fair." Mm-hmm. And the point of grace is that it's not. Yeah, yeah. And so if you get God too much, you lose grace. And I think this is true, even thinking about contemporary political ideologies. For very different sets of criteria, it's both extreme secular right and extreme secular left that have their own rubrics for the good people should get the good stuff and the bad people should not get good stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's that that's simple justice. The Bible has a ton to say about justice and equity, but then it also has a ton to say about grace mm-hmm. being as radical as we both would hope and sometimes would fear because that means that people that don't deserve it get it, but the good news there again is that we don't deserve it either. So yeah, it, it was fun to think through a God that's totally comprehensible and makes sense to us. I think for a God that would be more consistently comprehensible, that God would reward good behavior and punish bad behavior a lot more systematically mm-hmm, than what we mm-hmm. see in the world. Yeah. And then also when it comes when it comes to grace, heaven for the good people, hell for the bad people, but grace totally spins the spins the dial on those things. Right. So interesting. So moving, like you have been um, circling around this a little bit, but what are the what are the specific cultural contexts you're trying to address with this message of grace? Right. So trying to talk about grace, uh, like we've been saying, and then the other the other part of it is uh, we live, and part of the Represence Initiative is relaunching our church into a post-COVID and post-Christian world. There are plenty of things that people just don't get about God. And instead of going super specific in this sermon about, well, here here are the cultural specific hot topics or stretch points that are faith defeaters, I chose instead to talk about it more generally. So mm-hmm. every culture around the world and throughout the ages will have those defeater moments when it comes to faith because we don't get X, we don't get Y, we don't get Z about God. Mm-hmm. And What I tried to decouple was, well, if there's anything that you don't get about God, therefore you can never or should never actually believe in God if you don't get God completely. And that's what you were saying earlier, Em, Mm -hmm. about that's just not how we do relationships in in general, where there is, and you can even put it, God, God is sovereign, but under that, to put it a different way, relationships always entail risk, right? Right. right. And we, in, in marriages, we... What? <laughs> in, Wait. <laughs> in in deep, deep friendships, we're called to love each other beyond... This has limits, but to allow for, for those limits, we're consistently in positions where we 
are called to love each other more than we can trust and verify. Right? You <laughs> saying that you can't trust the... and verify my love for you? <laughs> well, that's that's why marriage is a covenant, not a contract, as we talk constantly in premarital counseling. Right. So so there's nobody else. There, there are no relationships where we only are willing to be in relationship with somebody if we get and understand them completely. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's actually a false bar to set when we right. think about believing in God to say, I've got to get God 100% because that's just not how relationships work. And right. the just to to verify for our Helen Wolves, feel free to write in, post something, blues at gmail.com. The, the theological underpinnings of that, I'm not just making this up, goes back to the deus abscondidus idea. Oh, the, no, the, not the, another Latin the, term. The, the hiddenness of God. So is this podcast where, about glossary? <laughs> <laughs> it's about lexicon. The, where for, for centuries, some of the most brilliant minds in the history of the world have yet affirmed the incomprehensibility of the triune God. So there's a long tradition behind what I was talking about on Sunday and wanted to flip it on its head too. I've mentioned this in previous sermons, a God that we get completely and or a God that we say God must be these things and cannot be these things so that we tell God what God can and can't be. That God is probably a figment of our imaginations where no human being should presume to say, let me tell you Mm -hmm. exactly everything that God is and is not and should be and should not be. Mm -hmm. Again, that's not how relationships work, but then you also factor in that God is so much immensely more than we are. If we want to fill in everything completely by ourselves, we're, we're pulling God down to our level and it's not the true God anymore. Right. It's a paradox. (laughs) Or, yeah. And, and as we've, been saying it also like if it can't apply in a marriage or in like we cannot control our children our children cannot control us as parents then how how much more so can we not control or understand god yeah sorry go ahead unless you think you can control me (laughs) (laughs) nervous laughter nervous laughter one other thing for me with muddying the waters um Uh pondering the idea and this is where some of my headspace was in writing the sermon this week, how the Bible is generally unconcerned Mm -hmm. to accommodate God to our understanding. Right, right, right. Which is challenging. You think that's true even when you think about the the context of the Hebrew Bible, like that, that that, that group of people also, it's so un... um, God is so un... Unvarnished. um, Yeah, like... It is not like other gods of that time period. Um, And so inscrutable, even to them, not just to our modern minds. Correct. Yeah. Don't, don't, that's a good point. Let's not fall into the historical bias of thinking that modern people know everything and ancient people were just stupid and dumb. Mm -hmm. The God of the Bible was always challenging, including to the original Hebrew audience to whom, to whom the, the scriptures were given that I do want to balance that a little bit, but a subset of the Bible being unconcerned to over explain, make over palatable, over accommodate God to us Mm -hmm. is a passage like this where the author of Genesis, whoever it was, 
seems unconcerned to explain answer why. and explain why why this is happening it, right. it just it just did that yeah. the the two balancing things and i hope it came through in the sermon i don't want to press this too far there is the deus revelatus there are many confirmations in the scriptures and otherwise where we do resonate and get confirmations oh yeah i get this 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 god is good this god is loving this god helps me make sense of the world it's mm-hmm. not just we're jumping off the cliff of rationality into an irrational abyss when we follow God. Mm-hmm. That's pushing it too far. And then the other balancing thing about the God of the Bible not being over-accommodated to us. There's not over-accommodation, but there is condescension. Mm-hmm. And so for God to reveal himself to us, that's always a con- an act of condescension on God's part. And that carries through supremely to the cross where you could say that the cross is a condescension or even an accommodation to us in our sinful finite fallen selves so Mm -hmm. god just doesn't leave us set up so high above us and not giving us a ladder but Mm -hmm. the story of grace is that we don't ascend but christ has descended and come to give grace and mercy to us so we don't yeah, great stuff. have to pull ourselves up to god's level god comes down to ours that's that and that seems central to to all of what you've been talking about so i hope so cool stuff um can we move on yes uh bar band cover tunes the references that you used um i know there was a big chunk um of job right it was one of the biggest chunks that i have written down yeah not a ton of references aside from a couple of bible references mm-hmm. th- this week and one of the favorite verses to quote from the preacher that we sat under in college, Norm Coop, was mm-hmm. Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is bigger than we are. Yeah. And I, I chose that verse is hopefully representative of many, many different passages of scripture that affirm these themes in various ways. And then Job is just a crazy book where I think in popular consciousness, Job is one of the good guy books where there are some books of the Bible or passages of scripture that Uh are just no fly zones. We hate this. This doesn't make sense. It's toxic. It's hard. (laughs) But people that only have a casual passing knowledge of the scriptures could come around and say, but Job, I get Job. That's suffering. a great book yeah. because it's it's dealing with it's dealing with suffering. It's 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 real about how the world is broken and we're trying to wrestle with that and we should wrestle with that. Right. Which is fair enough as far as it goes. Unless you look at the response of God. Right. But when you get to the end of the book of Job, it does not take a modern turn. <laughs> Instead right. it it doubles down on God saying, Job, you have all of these questions and complaints. Your friends have all of these questions and complaints. It's just not for you to know. So I am choosing not to answer you, which is really bracing to think about. And I think I said after that, and Job concludes after God, and I I wouldn't say this on on a Sunday morning, but to to use a little bit of an off-color phrase, it it is like an STFU at the end of, uh, of, uh, of the book of Job. The Job doesn't say, oh, I feel much better now <laughs> after God <laughs> tells him to shut up. Yeah. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And I think I vocalized right after I said that. I said, yikes, because that is a yeah, yikes moment. Yeah. I, I get how challenging this is. Right. 
but at the same time, it is really challenging. Yeah. And that, yeah, to, to, to underscore, I'm not just making this up from Genesis chapter 12. These are very wide and deep biblical themes. And then the last Bible reference, which speaks to the condescension of grace from Paul writing to Timothy. If we, were, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And that's yeah. what, what we see playing out in Genesis chapter 12. So, God yeah. is bigger than our tiny imaginations. And both God and his being and God and his grace right. is bigger than we are. So, yeah. I, and as I was thinking, collecting my thoughts before this podcast time, I don't, did I give any other references? I don't or, know. Uh, so that was like, that was uh, even a, this is only your second sermon of this, of the fall. Like you didn't, you clearly, I guess you were too busy <laughs> like to even have any pop culture on your brain or uh, I, I know that you were well, anyway uh, just, just it just it just didn't <laughs> nothing you're watching flow, nothing spoke to you flow, flow in that direction and yeah and i'm good to go to guitar slim pickings if, uh-huh. if you want to go there so sure the last thought about the sermon for, for the i had meant to remember to say this towards the end but I, I understand and if if there were people that struggled with this sermon because it was either challenging in content or just abstract. I, I had meant to say towards the end of the sermon, hey, this is one of those sermons that just doesn't have a lot of application to it. So I, I, I wouldn't want to preach every sermon that has so little. And Eric Mitchell, who, among other things, leads our home meeting, our small group system here at church, he'll talk about discussion in home meetings addressing head, heart, and hands. Mm-hmm. And if it's just this head, a, it's just esoteric. Hands. That yeah. So so I I was gonna say it was gonna be a little bit of a joke. This 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 is not at all a handsy sermon. You are so weird. Handsy sermon. Okay. So yeah, we'll we'll get back to handsiness next time. And hopefully some pop culture. Oh, we got it. Yeah, don't worry. <laughs> I I just worked on that sermon this morning, so it's coming. It's there. Yep. Um. Yeah, that's all I have. Uh, do we have any notes from listeners? Real quick with guitar slim pickings oh for the, I, I just want to give a shout out to to the, to the music team. So if, if if people are within radius of attending Liberty Collingswood in person, I I think the last few Sundays may have been, and M don't don't dis, don't disagree with me right now <laughs> while 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 we're recording. I'll I'll just say that that you agree, but you can feel free to say that you agree too. Uh, these, these have been some of the strongest music or worship Sundays, I think, in the history of, of Liberty Collingswood. So Tyler Mills is doing a great job with all of that. And worship was really fun, including I agree. this past Sunday. Okay, she agrees. She likes us. She really likes us. The The first switcheroony of instruments and Ooh. instrumentalists between songs to, to maximize different. The, the, the next step. I was talking to Tyler and the music team. They'll need to do that. Sometimes bands in live concerts do that in the middle of a song. So, like, like I, I would want them to... <laughs> With costume changes. Just shuffle. Yes, that would be great. <laughs> and, and it was fun this past Sunday, too, to, to launch and pray for Liberty Youth and all of the Liberty Youth workers. And we had a really great Move Up Sunday for Liberty Kids the previous Sunday. So, do lots of good things are happening. Do you wish you were a teenager again? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, what kind of question is that? Of course. I had a ton of fun. One of my contentions has always been that I would not have liked high school gym. We'll never know. 
high school gym. The I, I'm on a text thread with people from from New Orleans that which I present that, as evidence that, I, that I would with. that I would not one have of, liked gyms. One of the running high, jokes, gym, high, high school gym. That one of the running jokes is is that I'm just this sad, depleted, washed out echo of who I was in high school. And so there's always or there's often mention about prime gym, and so high school <laughs> high school was prime gym. And high so school there, gym was definitely there, not there prime gym. There were comments about. Prime Definitely Gym never would have not. let us get away with this, Prime or this Gym. is not how Prime Gym would have responded back in the is day. That your I miss Prime Gym. Al- alter ego name. <laughs> yes, Prime, Prime Gym. Got it. I'll I'll have Clara work on an illustration. I like it. I think that's it. Uh, feel free to write in uh, all your questions for Prime Gym and why Emily would not have liked Prime Gym. Any supporting evidence you have would be great. Either for Prime Gym or Post Gym. <laughs> Can you anyway? Um, and I think that's it. You have other podcasts coming up. Yep. Five Golden Things dropping this, f- uh, maybe next Friday. We're going to go back to every Friday with Five Golden Things, mm-hmm. I think, in October. So a couple weeks of okay. going every other week. But had a lot of fun and got a lot of good feedback. Me and Tony Belluccio, as I was belushed dog. last week, <laughs> talking about big books. And the, the, oh, you the whole funny books. conceit was... Not big in terms of importance or how much we loved it. You know how large they were. Size matters. So yeah. it was just the number of, the sheer number of pages. Yeah. Uh-huh. And yeah, why not? Who won? Uh, well, we only got halfway through. <laughs> we we stopped. It, it was going to be five books for each of us. We only got through, so 10 total. We only got through the first five. Surprise, surprise. So TBD. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's it. Um, yeah, home meetings are on the way. Your uh, your sales pitch for in covenant classes that yep. are not eagles conflicted. Right. Yep. Learning from experience. Lots of stuff happening, and no, we do not have notes from Howlin' Wolves. People, you've let yourselves go over the summer. Howlin' Wolves, you need to write in, text in. It's just unacceptable for the relaunch of a new for the launch of a new season. Not to have people writing in yet. So you're better than that, Howlin' Wolves. And with that, how was it? That was amazing. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been the Post Sunday Blues, a preaching postmortem, production of Liberty Collingswood. Go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe, and you can find all things Liberty Collingswood at libertycollingswood.org. No more Post Sunday Blues. Here comes some pre Sunday happy. What? Your hair is just funny today. Mm, Always. (laughs) Okay.